0: My name is Kirk Dunn, and this is the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. I'm an actor, writer, and knitter, and I'm also known as the Knitting Pilgrim. I earned that title because, in 2003, I was awarded an Ontario Arts Council Chalmers Grant to knit stitched glass, an installation of three large panels designed in the style of stained glass windows, which look at the commonalities and the conflicts between the three Abrahamic faiths. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They took me 15 years to knit. And when the project was complete, my wife Claire and I wrote a play called The Knitting Pilgrim about my experience knitting stitch glass and my research into interfaith relations. One thing that wasn't covered in the play was the meaning behind the imagery in the knitted panels. So, this series explores each section in conversation because, ultimately, the project is about having conversations with empathy and curiosity about how we understand and sometimes misunderstand each other. Welcome to the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. Welcome to the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. Uh, today we 'll be looking at one of the sections of the Judaic window or panel and um, as a reminder the way these panels are all structured is that um, the dominant symbol of each particular faith um, makes up the the main the main framework of of that panel so for uh, Judaism, you, you can see the star of David and then inside the star of david i 've placed the uh, the positive images of the faith, uh, and then outside the um, the symbol, I'm uh, referring to some icons and some issues that um, that for me are questions I have and things I, I feel that that, um, that the faith is challenged by. And today we're looking at an image that is inside the Star of David. Uh, it can be found right at the top and it is, um, you can see that it is a globe uh, cradled in a pair of hands. It's in the top center point of the star. And um, it's a reference to the Judaic tradition of uh, tikkun olam, repairing or or caring uh, for the world. And it's a, a reminder of the incredible philanthropy and altruism that is practiced by Jews and the the many ways that Jews give back to the world and to society. And uh, to talk about this today, I'd like to welcome Avram Rosenzweig. Avram is the he's the the son of a rabbi who was um, profoundly impacted by the conflict that he he saw in the world, and his response to that was to to found um, Verhafta, the Canadian Jewish Humanitarian and Relief Committee. And Verhafta is Hebrew, and it means um, "and you shall love." And it's a nonprofit charity with a mission to encourage Jews and all peoples to play a role in olam, the repairing of the world. And um, Avram is also a veteran podcast host and producer and uh, full disclosure. Uh, back when I was researching my textile project, uh, Sitch Glass, he was um, instrumental in connecting me with prominent members of the Jewish community, and uh, and he saved me from my own disastrous ignorance. So I am really happy to have him with us today. Avram, welcome.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's nice to be here,
0: and congratulations on your project. It's lovely. Thank you so much. So t'kun olam, I, you olam, know, I, I grew up as a, as a Christian. So I was a PK, um, son of clergy, as, as you, but of course, as a Christian, my experience of the Tanakh was, we called it the Old Testament. And I had, uh, I thought I knew it pretty well. And w- w- one of the my biggest humbling experiences was figuring out how little I knew about the Old Testament when I embarked on this project. And I'd never heard of this concept of tikkun olam. So can you uh, tell us what it is and and where it comes from? Mm-hmm.
1: Repairing the world is inherent to the Torah. Um, God says, uh, uh, I am your God. And in order for you to come close to that, you need to do my mitzvot, my commandments. And many of them have to do with repairing the world or making the world a better place in which you live. Bein Adam l'chavero, how you act towards your fellow man, your fellow person. Bein Adam l'atzmi, how you are to yourself, and of course, Bein Adam lemakom, which is between myself and God. So the concept itself is really, really between the lines within the Torah. It's the idea of uh, from a mystical point of view that the world was created, and it blew apart. And there were uh, um, shards all over the place. And those were shards that like a puzzle had to eventually be put back together. And how do you do that? You do that by behaving in a godly fashion. Well, come along, I guess, really conservative and reformed Judaism. 3040 years ago, and they figured, okay, we need to package this a little bit differently. So we're going to talk about repairing the world, more so in the context of how Western society looks at it, helping the poor, you know, um, taking care of the orphan and the widow, which you will find in the Torah. Um, And we're going to call it tikkun olam. And they took that phrase, which means repairing the world out of various different texts within Judaism, mysticism, prayer. And that became a focal point uh, for those movements. You'll find some arguments amongst the denominations. What else is there um, about tikkun olam? Very often you'll hear Orthodox Jews say, um, well, what is this nonsense about tikkun olam repairing the world? That's what the Torah tells you. That's exactly what it's stating. You don't need to come up with a new concept. Okay, fine. It works well, right? We're always looking for a good way of marketing an idea, good idea. So we came up with the phrase Tikkun Olam. So the fact is, you may be very astute, you may be very adept at knowing the Torah. And the fact that you missed it is because really, it's not
0: there. Okay. Okay, well, that's so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting thing. And my, my experience with uh, as a Christian with again what i'm going to keep on calling the old testament because that's how it was presented to me and that's the way i remember you know hearing it was a lot of the things um the 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 commandments and um and the in, the instructions are the, the are things like you know go forth and multiply and i think there's um i think it's a genesis uh 1 um verse 28 where uh you know if i could read it read a, a version of it from the um new revised standard version of the, of the Christian Bible. It says, um, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And so when I was hearing that, uh, from other Christians, it was, it was kind of like a license to do whatever we wanted we could I mean, God gave us this world in many ways to to exploit and you know, that, that word is sometimes used in a bad way, but not necessarily. It's like, there's all the resources and you're supposed to use them. So get out there and do that. And is, is that what Tikkun Olam is is sort of um, trying to uh, counterbalance like to, uh, to to balance out?
1: Well, I would say that um that that pasuk is in the beginning of the Torah that line is in the beginning of the Torah the interesting thing about the Torah is that there are many lines many of which seem to say the same thing but often contradict one another um or sort of change the landscape a little bit because you have 128 as you quote is saying you know you have dominion over the earth, you have dominion over the animals. And it does seem like it's kind of a willy-nilly, you know, let's just go out and do this sort of thing. But then you have much of the rest of the Torah sort of describing and defining how you're supposed to do that. So when you look at Parshat Mishpatim, which we just did a few weeks ago, the portion in the Torah called Mishpatim, which has, I think, 53 laws in it, that's a very lawful portion. There's a lot of laws in there. It talks about in the beginning how you're supposed to deal with slaves and slavery. And it goes into great depth. And depending on how many meforshim, how many people you read who define that, and the great discussions that went on within the Talmud, eventually you're supposed to come up with a conclusion as to what your day-to-day is supposed to be if indeed you own slaves. Now, just a side note, there's no way in heck that the torah is prescribing slavery it, it's not what it's basically saying is slavery exists we're going to weed it out but we're going to do it in a civil way okay if god just came in and in one fell swoop said okay this is done this is finished things would not work out well we saw that from the flood right so the torah is almost like a set of stairs it starts with very very general concepts this is your world these are your animals right this is your ocean go and deal with it properly and then you move your way up those stairs and as you do you start to learn very thoroughly and and very specifically what all of that means The beauty of Judaism is that we break down things into its nth. We study it very, very closely. Every single word. In fact, every single syllable. Sometimes every single letter. It's called gematria. Um, So does it counterbalance that? In some ways, yeah. I think that's appropriate what you said. I think it does. Okay, here's your world. Lots of luck. But hang on. There's another chapter after this, right? And then another one after that and it 's all about how do you do this, how do you repair the world, so I think it 's accurate what you 're saying
0: yeah right, and i I like what you what, what you 're saying there you 're framing Tukun olam as the as the whole message, the in, the entire message, as opposed to um, one of the things that disappoints me. Um, well, I was going to say about Christians, because that's the, the people I talk to and the people I hear it from are people who who take individual verses uh, out of passages out of context and just say, "Well, this is the way it is. Here it is. That's it." And so that's the way I'm going to um, uh, you know uh, move forward without taking into account the entirety of, of what's going on in the Bible, yeah. and for Christians, what what was it? What was the message that uh, that Jesus had Jesus, who was a just a, a practicing Jew, who was trying to be a good Jew? And what was he saying? Let's look at the whole thing, as opposed to you picking something out of um, an obscure a book, yeah. you know, down the road. So this idea of uh, tikkun olam, uh, being that, um, that, that overview, in in many ways, is uh, I think a really fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. And and how does that so how does that play out? I mean, you say it's a it's it, it's kind of like a, a recent uh, almost marketing strategy. You you've referred to it, it over the last like thirty or forty years. But how is it playing out in um, in Jewish society today? What
1: initially. <laughs> When the world was created and a little bit thereafter, you had Orthodox Judaism, right? And Orthodox Judaism was an adherence to the Torah within a given framework, um, some of which could be changed and some of which could never be changed. It was lock solid, like the Talmud. Uh, and, and, And what you would do in order to discern what the Torah was trying to tell you about wearing shotness, two different materials on your suit, okay? Or Shemitah, how you're supposed to protect your land and how it's supposed to lay fallow every seven years. And then there's a Jubilee every 50 50 years and so on. And the rabbis would set about defining those terms um, generationally. And that's why the Talmud is fascinating because it's one rabbi stating opinion in the year 450 and another rabbi coming along in 515 saying, you know what? I don't think Rafuna was right, right? And then another one come along 50 years later and argue with the both of them. Um, Well, over time, things change as they do. It's like you can live on an island and you decide, okay, <clears throat> I'm going to open a church, right? Well, somebody else ends up on the island. They're deserted like you were and they go, I'm going to open up a church too, you know, so now you have two churches on this island, right? So it's the same thing in Judaism. You know, came along some people who said, well, orthodoxy is too fixed. I can't breathe. It doesn't allow me to change with the times enough. And if it does, it's so slow to move. The inertia that's involved in being an orthodox Jew is tremendous. I, and my entire family's orthodox. I'm not. <clears throat> but um, their commitment is 24-7. So along came Reformed Judaism and soon afterwards, conservative Judaism, and uh, there was a decision made that some things would literally be dropped from from uh, Jewish liturgy, as an example, you know, and Judaism became, if you will, a lot more liberal, a, a lot looser. And within that, they said they there was a drive to determine, okay, we're Jews. Yes, we're Torah based, but there's something a bit more here. There's a void that we need to fill. And that void that they needed to fill was to be more in line, I believe, with society in general. Orthodoxy really didn't have that challenge too much. That's why when you walk down Bathurst Street, you'll see Hasidic Jews who look as though they came from 19th or 18th century Poland. But the conservative reformed Jews had to fill that extensive void. And that void was filled with being more societal, being more part of what was going on within the world of which we lived and they would see some tremendous things going on out there about as I said before helping the poor and much of it was Christian by the way helping the poor helping the widow helping the orphan helping the homeless right and that became a major major thrust of reform Judaism so when you go into a reform environment you'll see Torah teaching you'll see you know Shabbat services but you won't see the commitment on a day-to-day basis to mitzvah, to commandments, as you do in the Orthodox community. Where do, what do you see? You see a, a sort of a universal approach to life, right? And, and that universal approach to life could be qualified as tikkun olam.
0: All right. Yeah, that uh, that, that makes sense. And certainly, you know, uh, the other thing that we we see, and certainly that I see in looking around in our society here in uh, where I live in Toronto, I see, the names of uh, Jewish families on uh, medical institutions, uh, on uh, universities, on um, uh, arts centers, cultural um, uh, organizations. So it, it's just really astounding to me um, the, this commitment to to giving back and to uh, and to yeah making making the world a, a better place. That's something I think that uh, that we all can and we all should, should be doing because if it's in Judaism, I mean, it's, it's there in the uh, in the other faiths as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a school of thought, possibly tongue in cheek, that if a Jew is not sensitive and humane, and does not respond to the injustices of the world, then it's questionable as to whether they're a Jew or not. To that extent, to that extent, I personally grew up in a rabbinical home, as you mentioned before. And my parents, God bless their souls, would bring in strangers into our house. And some of them would live with us overnight, some of them for a week, some of them for a month, some of them for a couple of years. And um, many of them were difficult people. And many of them were not very appreciative of what my parents had done. One of them, I remember, stole my parents' Visa card, you know, and went and spent it downtown. But really the point I'm trying to make is that my parents brought the world outside into our home so i was exposed early on to the ills of the world and you'll remember this was an orthodox environment our home was and that was a very unique upbringing and it was a, a, a beautiful uh upbringing insofar as it taught me how to be more empathetic it was a challenging upbringing because it taught me to be more empathetic <laughs>
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, but it's also a really fascinating choice that you made the you made the choice and your response was to become more empathetic as opposed to uh, more uh, punitive and um, to punish people for for the, the wrongs that you saw out there. And I think the one thing we can see in the world is that that's that's the thing that doesn't that doesn't work. Um, I heard it said that you can't, uh, you know, if if you uh, beat a if you beat a mean dog, it just gets meaner. That's, that's, there's no upside to that. So that's, that's a really interesting, uh, interesting thing.
1: You know, I just want to comment on the latter part of what I said in the context of, of your statement. No, we weren't punitive. But I would caution people who are listening and watching. Empathy is a learned behavior. And one has to be very careful with how they teach their children empathy. Because when done well, you can help to nurture and create a beautiful child and hence a beautiful adult, somebody who's very much in sync with the needs of the world. When not done well, you can oversensitize a human being to the extent that they will just shut down and just shut off. And I've seen both. And I've had to struggle with both inside of me, right? So within Tikkun Olam is the whole idea of caring, being conscious, being aware, looking around you, knowing what's going on, <clears throat> walking in someone else's shoes, right? Just be careful how long you stay in those shoes. One has to take care of themselves. And that's why I said in Judaism, there's three very important concepts about how to deal with life. Ben Adam Lamakam, my relationship with God. La Lachavero, my relationship with Kirk, with my
0: friends. That's me, my relationship with myself. Right. Yeah. And that the, uh, for me right now, that's hearkening back to Hillel's three three questions. Yeah. Um, uh, if I am not for myself, then who is for me? If I am only for myself, then what am I? And if not now, when? And uh, I, you, know, you, you mentioned the the struggle you're feeling within yourself. I mean, I have I have similar struggles. And mine are, are mostly about the, um, you know, if I am not for myself, then who is for me? Um, my Christian upbringing was that, I think that myself almost pretty much always came second. And so it's really hard for me, my, my personal um, challenge is to advocate for myself that's a that's a big thing, and that's what I hear you saying is that you've got to be careful that you don't that that is still present because I need to be whole and I need to be strong so that I can do these good things that need to be done. I have the strength I have the the, the skills, and I have the stick to to work through some really upsetting things to make the world a better place
1: yeah, there's this sort of predominant belief uh, within the abrahamic religions i would say that like you said kirk is that we're secondary we're, we're not as important but when you dig down very deeply into the torah you'll find that really that's anathema to what uh what the torah is trying to teach what god is trying to teach there is a beautiful devar torah devar torah means words of torah and we say them when we're sitting around the table or even when, when we're with a friend you and i might have a coffee i go kirk do you want to hear a nice devar torah you know a nice thought of Torah. There's the a classic question which is asked: Is the Jews were walking through the desert after they, the Exodus from Egypt, and they had the cloud overhead for water. They had the manna which came down every single day, and maybe double portions for Shabbat, you know. And they had uh, an the angels which were protecting them. But what did they do? They complained. <laughs> you know. What I mean? Now Jews are complainers. We complain a lot, right? So it's not it's not that unusual. But The question which is asked is, um, why were they complaining they had everything they needed? And a beautiful answer which was given was that because really what they were saying was, look, God, thank you so much for everything you're doing for us. But now that we're out of Egypt, we're no longer enslaved. We want to bruise our elbows. We want to scrape our knees. We want to actualize who we are as a human being. Okay, I'm a poet. I want to write poetry. You know, I'm brilliant with numbers. I want to be an accountant. You have no idea how good I am at raising children. And I want to start a daycare for all these other Jewish women and children who are in the uh, desert with me. Um, another another uh, uh, really nice way of looking at this is the Garden of Eden story. Adam and Eve, they do the one thing they're not supposed to do, right? Yes, it's human nature, but it's bizarre, okay? Just don't eat from that tree. That's all you need to, okay? So why did they do it? Similarly, they were they were saying to God, the Garden of Eden is a beautiful place to start. I'm sorry, it's a beautiful place to stop. It's a beautiful place to end your life, right? It's lush. You have all the food that you need, these beautiful gardens. But it's not the place to start. The place to start is by going out into the world and seeing what's there and seeing how you can repair it, seeing how you can fix it, seeing how you can develop yourself as a human being. You gave me the ability to write prose. Let me write prose, right? So Ben Adam me. when you look at yourself, that that whole challenge is the development of the self. And I think think that religious leaders and I think parents very often make the mistake of, you know, you go sit on the side. We're going to put the guest at your seat. When I was a kid, I used to sleep under the table, the dining room table, so that our guests could sleep in my bed. That was wrong. That was wrong god bless my parents they made a mistake i have a son today i wouldn't do that and if i were to do that i would ask him so we have to be very very careful with uh the idea of recognizing those beautiful gems in front of us our children and like you said ourselves and saying look who i am as a person look what i have inside of me how best can i actualize myself so that when you know the mass falls from the from from the ceiling I can put it on and help somebody else, you know? How can I actualize myself so that I can make myself better, so that I can make the world better, so that we become more godly? That's my take on it.
0: And that is a brilliant take. Uh, Thank you, Avron. Let's let's leave it there. That is a, a, a beautiful exploration of the idea of tikkun olam. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: If you would like to get in touch with Avram, you can find him at avramrosensweig.com, or you can reach out to him via his email at avram.rosensweig at gmail.com. This has been an episode of the Knitting Pilgrim Talks. We'd like to thank the Ontario Arts Council for their support of this conversation series, and their funding of Stitch Class, and the Toronto Arts Council and the Canada Council for the Arts for their support of the Knitting Pilgrim Show. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this about interfaith matters, stitched glass, and knitting, please check out our episodes at kirkdunn.com or the Knitting Pilgrim YouTube channel.